All right, so we are wrapping up our belief series today. It is a season of belief. It's a season to really think about what we believe, why we believe it, and why is it that we're celebrating a season of light or a season of hope uh, during this time of year. As we've studied belief, I have come across a lot of very strange beliefs. In parts of India, they get two frogs together that are clearly compatible and they marry those two frogs. Why? Because that would satisfy the rain god. I mean, of course, marrying frogs obviously satisfies the rain god. Do you think that works for them? Yeah, probably not. Um, the Malakdita tribe, they put their leftover food on the ground and they roll over their food. That brings healing to their sick bodies. You think that works? You think that works? <laughs> no. <laughs> The Maharashtra tribe, they throw their babies out of five-story windows, and then at the bottom, there are tribal elders that are holding sheets that catch their babies. Now, I thought about showing you a video of this, but it is utterly terrifying. The looks on these kids' face when they think their parents are dropping them to their death, I mean, you can imagine the look on their face. But once they land, they get up, and they're laughing and want to do it again. So that's just the way it is to be a child. You're always toying between death and life and fun. But uh, anyway, does that work for them? Does that bring prosperity? No, nah, probably not. All right, there's some other kind of strange ones. This could go on forever. But in Spain, you eat 12 grapes at the New Year's, ringing in the New Year's to bring good luck. In Japan, if you pass by a graveyard, you tuck in your thumbs because your thumbs are the fingers of your parents. So if you tuck in your thumbs by a graveyard, you will ensure your parents have longer life, right? Any of that stuff work? No, no, no. Well, I know people who still knock on wood. I hope this happens, knock on wood. They're actually knocking on wood. First of all, there's no such thing as an actual wood desk or table anymore, pure plastic. But does knocking on wood really help? No. And I think if you were to ask these people who still knock on wood, do you think knocking on wood actually brings you help? Do you think wishing when you blow out a birthday candle actually, right? You start thinking about the things we do, and you think, okay, yeah, some things we do are just strange, right? They're based on kind of older beliefs that are passed on from generation to generation. The reality about belief, now follow me here, anything that requires belief is probably a little strange, right? Anything that requires belief is probably a little strange. Something that's just out and out validated fact, I do not need to believe in. I don't need to believe if I drop this iPad, it's gonna fall, right? It's just gonna fall. I don't need to believe in that. But if I, if I hold as true something that's a little strange, that takes belief. Now. Sometimes things that are strange remain strange and are never validated. But sometimes things that are strange, things that are believed that are odd, are validated as fact. I'll give you a couple of examples here. Early astronomers about 500 years ago did some math calculations and they thought, you know what, I think the earth is actually revolving around the sun. And they were mocked, no way, you're crazy. Clearly I'm watching the sun revolve around the earth. You're a nut job, right? Well, come to find out a little bit later, it's validated as true. Their belief, which was initially strange, is now declared to be true. Einstein's theory of general relativity, that math actually brings together gravity and the strong forces of the universe into, into, into equations. There's a, a relationship there. He was determined to be wacko, and, and he had this face and this you know, hair. It's like, you're clearly crazy, Einstein. Well, now it's the very foundation of physics. Some people believed in the early 20th century, just about 70 years ago, some people actually believed that smoking was harmful to your health. How could that possibly be? Smoking is beneficial for your health, right? That's what they thought. How can breathing in particulates from fire not benefit the human body, right? 
Well, now it's been discovered that it is in fact harmful to your body. So, so what people initially believe that could be deemed strange sometimes is, is verified, it's validated as fact. So what about religious belief? What about religious belief? Religious belief can never be validated as fact. It can never happen, why? Because God is spirit. God can never be observed. You can't test tube God. You can't observe what God is doing. It's not possible. So our entire religious life is a life of faith. It's a life of belief. And frankly, some of the things that religious people believe in can be deemed a little bit strange. Doesn't make it untrue. But the reality is what we believe religiously, spiritually, can never be proved outright, can never be tested, observed, and validated. So we will always live our life of faith in belief, in belief. That's what the Bible says. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, again, my favorite verse about belief, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In other words, we're just going to live as though we're assured in something that is a hope. And we're going to live convicted of something that cannot be seen. That's what belief is. That's what faith is. We're going to decide. We're making a decision. As, as the scripture says, persuaded. We are, are persuaded that, that what we believe about God is, in fact, the surety that we're placing our life on. And what we cannot see about God is going to become our conviction. It's pretty complicated. In fact, biblically, belief can be decide, uh, defined this way. That belief is a confident attitude toward God and a commitment to follow his will. And all this is unseen. Who is God? He's unseen. Now, faith can be reasoned through somewhat. We can look at God's word and we can say, okay, there's some real evidence that this has divine origin and that the copies that we have now were faithfully translated and copied over the centuries, right? There, there's reasonable things we can think through. We can also think, okay, if I, if I place my faith and trust in God, a God who is loving, a God who is gracious, a God who is kind, if I embrace that and then live that kind of life out, does it actually work? Is it actually better to believe in a God who is gracious, loving, and kind as opposed to other ways to believe about God? And there's some answers that can come that way as well. But our belief is always going to be this idea of choosing to be confident about things that we cannot see and things that we can never prove. That's belief. And the reality of belief is that what we believe shapes how we see and experience everything in this world, particularly what we believe about God. The things we believe about God shape everything. There's not a relationship we have. There's not a thought we think. There's not an action that we do that isn't shaped by what we believe about God. What we believe about God defines who we are, defines our purpose in life, the meaning of our life, the values, how we love, how we live, the choices we make. Belief matters because it shapes how we see and experience everything in this world. So as we've gone through this series over Christmas, we have encouraged each other to believe like Mary. Mary's a great example. Let's believe like Mary. Uh, from a couple weeks back, Mary was a peasant girl in a nothing of a community of Nazareth. And yet God and his divine providence chose her and gave her this incredible message. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, uh, Mary, for you have found favor with God. She's saying, how can I find favor with God? I'm a poor peasant girl in a squatter's village goes on, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And, and this, this declaration goes on that he'll be a king and his kingdom will last forever. I mean, God's voice is just pouring things into Mary's life that she had no way of processing. A poor peasant 12-year-old from a squatter's village is being told she'll have an immaculately conceived son who will rule over a kingdom that will last forever. I mean, what is she going to do with that? In her confusion, she comes to this incredible conclusion. She says, behold, 
I'm a servant of the Lord. She's totally confused. She's totally baffled. Her faith has not been proven. She has no signs of her pregnancy. Uh, she's, she's just hearing this voice from God. You are favored. You are blessed. You are chosen. And here's a promise in your life for the whole world. She says, I'm a servant of the Lord. I don't have it all figured out. My faith is unrefined, but let it be to me according to your word. God, do what you want with my life. So the encouragement is to believe like Mary, believe the promise of God that we are chosen by name like Mary was, that we are favored by God like Mary was, and that God gave us the same promise he gave Mary, that through this child there will be love and forgiveness, and ultimately God will save the world through this baby boy. Let's believe like Mary. Last week we talked about believing like Joseph. Let's believe like Joseph. Steve did a great job last week, I encourage you. If you haven't heard that message, get online and hear that message. Joseph's belief was arguably deeper than Mary's because at least a few weeks after Mary was told she would conceive, there's some evidence, right? Joseph had no evidence. His entire life, he had no evidence. All he knew is that the one he was engaged to be married to was carrying a child that wasn't his. And then he got one dream, which he could have easily passed aside. He got one dream that says, hey, her baby truly is from the creation of God. And she wasn't cheating on you. Now imagine how that would go over in your own home. You're around your kitchen table. Your wife says, hey, uh, I'm pregnant. I know you've been gone for two months, but I'm pregnant. And uh, no man was involved. It's from God. Oh, okay, no problem, honey. That's nice. I look forward to raising this baby. I mean, no way is that going to fly. This is Joseph. Joseph had to raise a child that he knew wasn't his own. He had this dream that said this thing, but man, you can imagine. Some days he's like, really? Right? Is this the real deal? But here's what he did even before he had this dream. Her husband, Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He couldn't marry her. Culturally, he couldn't marry her. It was a community shame, a family shame. But he was going to send her away quietly and respectfully. He's a good guy, right? Then after this dream, Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife with all the public shame and humiliation that he would live with the rest of his life. He goes, believe me, the community around him was going, yeah, right, baby from God. He did the right thing. So let's believe like Joseph. He did the right thing even when it cost him, and it cost him greatly. He was faithful all the way to the end. Today we're going to talk about believing like the shepherds. Let's believe like the shepherds. Now, the story of the shepherds is just another bullet point in a very strange story. I'm telling you, the Christmas story is, is bizarre. It's strange. Here you have the Savior, the Son of God, being born. That's kind of an odd enough thing to kind of grasp. Then how is God doing that? Through a, a 12 or 13-year-old woman who's never been with a man, she is going to immaculately conceive. There's going to be this very complicated relationship between her and Joseph under this cloud of immorality and betrayal. There's this injustice where they are forced by the Romans to go to Bethlehem. There's no room for them to give birth. She gives birth in a barn and puts the baby in a feeding trough. And then all of a sudden, shepherds pop up. I mean, truly, it, 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 would, it would come across, if this is your first reading, it would come across as the most random insertion. Here are these shepherds out there. Here are these shepherds out there. Now, here's how it starts. Luke 2, 8. And it, again, just seemingly random. And by the way... In the same region of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field, out of the blue, shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Very strange. It begs the question, why shepherds? Have you ever thought about that? Why shepherds? Why not the milkman? Why not 
uh, the blacksmith. Why shepherds? We've heard the story so much from the time we were born, we don't ask these questions. But if we don't ask these questions, I think we're gonna, gonna miss some, some big stuff here. Why shepherds? To give you a little background, shepherds were uh, pasturing their flocks at night. Now I'm gonna burst some bubbles here and I apologize up front for doing this. If shepherds are gonna pasture their flocks by night, it's not in the winter. Um, Jerusalem is basically Temecula. It's the same uh, latitude, it's the same climate, it's the same everything, same seasons of the year. So shepherds in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, are not pasturing their flocks in the middle of the night during winter, it's not happening. And so they're pasturing their flocks during the warm season. So it's got to be spring, summer. There's some other cultural realities about shepherding. There are multiple shepherds here awake. So that means there's a large flock. Multiple shepherds that are up and multiple shepherds that are sleeping, they rotated between watching and sleeping. This is a big flock. There's a lot of activity going on here. Multiple shepherds at night, multiple shepherds sleeping. This is a big flock in the warm season. They are near Jerusalem. A, a, a picture starts to emerge here, right? Why shepherds? Why shepherds? These shepherds are literally minding their own business when an angel appears, one angel. Angel of the Lord appears to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. As with many passages of the Bible, you read this and you just keep moving on, right? We know the story, we, we see an image of the Christmas card, we, we have a cartoon in our mind, we kind of get this vibe of what's going on here, but we've got to stop and really embrace what's happening here. The glory of the Lord was shining around shepherds. If, if you knew your Old Testament, you would think, okay, that phrase has been used before. The glory of the Lord shining. That is a very familiar phrase in the Old Testament. Every once in a while, God's glory would shine in the Old Testament as, as God is leading the, the people of Israel to the point where they would give birth to the, the Savior Jesus. As God is leading them and making a nation out of them, on a few occasions, the glory of the Lord shone around. And, and, and you'd start to kind of connect a, a few dots here. Where did the glory of the Lord shine? Well, the glory of the Lord shined to Moses. You remember the burning bush deal, right? Mount Horeb, Moses goes up, up on a hill. God says, you go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. This burning bush deal is the glory of the Lord shining. A little bit later, uh, the people of Israel are wandering around the wilderness. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, is given the 10 commandments. The glory of the Lord is shining. The glory of the Lord is so fierce. This fire is so fierce. Moses had to be protected in the cleft of a cliff, right? Cannot bear to see the full glory of God. This is, this is the glory of God on display. And that held over Mount Sinai, Exodus 20, 16, 24, 16. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. It stayed there. Why did, it, why did the glory of God shine on Moses? Because Moses was the great prophet, the great prophet, the one bringing God's word to the people of Israel. So of course, with this great prophet, the glory of the Lord is shining. And then by the command of God, a tabernacle was built. This is, just imagine a room a little bit, uh, maybe half the size of this auditorium here, and it's a very ornate um, tabernacle made of cloth but fine artistry. As the people of Israel are wandering around the desert, they're setting up this makeshift temple. This is where the great high priests are from Aaron on. These are the great high priests who are mediating between God and man, right? They're mediating the law and the rituals and the sacrifices, right? And so the glory of God shines in the tabernacle, Exodus 40, 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So there it is again. 
The glory of the Lord shined on the great prophet. The glory of the Lord now shines on the great high priests. And then later as Israel gets into the land of Canaan and raises up a king, that king now builds a temple. King Solomon, the second king of Israel, builds a temple. Second Chronicles 7.1. As soon as Solomon finished praying over the new temple, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and there it is again, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So get the, get the, get the progression here. The glory of the Lord shines on the great prophet Moses. The glory of the Lord shines on the great high priests. The glory of the Lord shines on the great kings. And the glory of the Lord shines on three shepherds hanging out at night. It falls off, right? The glory of the Lord is this powerful, visible presence shining on shepherds. It doesn't make any sense. Now, when we think of shepherds, we might think, okay, that's cute, right? It's cute. It's Christmas cardy, right? It's children's programmy. We get it. But at the time, we have to understand that shepherds were not very well thought of. Culturally, there was a little bit of a lore around shepherds. Uh, what is that great psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Very famous. So God was referred to as a shepherd. Uh, the first king of Israel was a shepherd before he became a king. Um, great leaders of Israel were called good shepherds. And so the idea of shepherding was a bit of a, a bit of a metaphor of some nice things. But if you would actually come across a shepherd in a city, that's the last person you would want to be around. They were just the weird people living out with the animals. They smelled, they were filthy, they were uneducated, and they were called unspiritual. Why? Because farmers work. Anybody here from a farm? You work. And that work doesn't stop. It's 24-7. So they can't stop working the farm to do all the holy things. They can't stop on Saturday to observe the Sabbath. They can't take a week off to migrate to, you know, for the Passover week at the great temples, right? They have to work. And so they were dirty, uneducated, antisocial, and unspiritual. That was the shepherd. And I, there's a little bit of a parallel in, in South America. When I was in South America, I noticed something very stark. That a lot of cultures in South America, they, they elevate the indigenous people, right? The, the natives, they elevate them. They, they, there's artwork all over the place. It could be Aztec, it could be Mayan. Uh, there's this artwork and the, the ruins are celebrated and the trinkets are all from the native peoples, right? So they have this great lore about the native people, but the native people in reality are very much despised and disrespected on the streets. There's some racism there. They're darker. Or they, they look different. They don't speak our language well. They don't speak our language at all. Their original language is gibberish, right? We all have these kind of biases, but that's sort of a parallel here, that there could be a lore about a certain people group, but on the streets, they're horribly mistreated. And that was the case with the shepherds. The glory of the Lord shines on the shepherds. It doesn't make any sense. Historian Philio says this, shepherding is held to be a mean and inglorious pursuit. This is what people thought of shepherds. It's a mean and inglorious pursuit. They weren't the great prophets, they weren't the great priests, they weren't the great kings, they were the shepherds. It didn't make a lot of sense that the glory of the Lord is shining on them. And here's the announcement. The angel said to these shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now the Charlie Brown thing is in your head, right? This is it, this is the announcement. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is the birth announcement of Jesus to shepherds. He's the king of kings, the king whose kingdom will cover all the earth. In fact, it will cover all the earth and all of heaven and it will last forever. That king, this is the birth announcement to shepherds. Now, 10 years before the birth announcement of Jesus was the birth announcement of, uh, of Caesar Augustus. 
And this is, this is a, from the family line of the great Caesars of Rome, right? So Augustus is born. And at the announcement of the birth of Augustus, the great high priest put together this very poetic uh, paragraph. And, and he instilled that, that, that announcement to all of his, his high priests, who would, the great priests who would then go out to all the Roman Empire. And they would go to the great palaces and the great temples and the great courtyards throughout the Roman Empire. And they would read and announce very loudly that Augustus has been born. The father would be lauded. The mother would be lauded. He would bring salvation to Rome and he will bring a great light and hope to Rome. Very formal announcement. And then you have the announcement of Jesus. The one who would be greater than any Roman Caesar. And the announcement comes to a handful of shepherds watching their flock at night. And so we ask again, why shepherds? Why shepherds? And the announcement continues, Luke 2.10, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news of great joy for all the people. This is awesome. This is exciting. This is great news. And the shepherds are the one that had this. Good news. Now, good news is very simple. Very simple. Um, we, we, the church, kind of complicated. We say gospel. Why not just say good news? That's what it means. Uh, we say evangelism, right? And that's the Greek word, euangelion. That's the word good news. So we just kind of carry that over. We say gospel and evangelism. It just means good news. It's the same good news that was announced at the birth of Jesus. It's the good news that we've received and the good news that we need to keep sharing and living, right? That God cares and he proved how much he cares. This good news that God loves us. He cares for us. He forgives us. That God is for us, not against us. That he's not angry with us. That he's gracious and kind. And he proved it by the coming of Jesus Christ. He sent his son to be a part of our time, space, and history to show us the full measure of God's love for us. That is good news. We ought to be dripping and oozing with good news and smiles, right? And it's not just good news. It's good news of what? Great joy. I mean, this is cool stuff. Now, this isn't just the plastic Christian smile stuff, like pretend I'm happy, but I'm really dying inside, right? Sometimes life is really hard, for sure. Sometimes life is brutally hard, but this good news of great joy still applies even when we are suffering, even when there's pain in our lives or loss in our lives, there's good news of great joy that underpins us, that is a solid foundation under our feet. When our life is shaky, the good news of great joy never fails. The good news of great joy never fails. Great joy, great joy. We did a series, gosh, five or six years ago called Enjoy and uh, ruffled a lot of feathers, that tends to happen. This reality that we can actually enjoy God, that we can enjoy God. It's not some, oh, I gotta go to church, get the religious stuff, God, are you mad with me today? Are you happy with me today? What can I do for you today so you can do something for me tomorrow, right? That's kind of the drudgery oftentimes of faith. There is a good news of great joy moment where we can say, I can absolutely thoroughly enjoy God and enjoy my relationship with God. Whether this day is great, whether this day is terrible, whether I am in a good spot or whether I'm in a terrible spot, whether life is good or life is terrible, there can be this good news of great joy in life that I get to live. But a lot of people, and I'd say especially religious people, sometimes just don't have that good news of great joy lifestyle. We can get kind of grumpy. So we're gonna do a little training, okay, ready? Don't do this. You see this everywhere. This is everywhere, all over the place, but kind of a lot in churches as well. Don't be this. Let's try to be happy. That's kind of freaky happy. Next, next slide. That's freaky. Okay, this is just a good scene. Now, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes of that picture, right? There could be some real stuff happening, financial problems, health problems, loss. 
But there's just this moment, I get to live this life today. I get to wake up and live this life today. And I get to have a family around me and some friends around me. And I get to go to the coolest church ever. <laughs> right? I get to live this life today. And there are people who just choose not to think that way. Oh, this life, you're not, you're not, right? We don't need to be grumpy. We can be full of good news and great joy. Let's not be this. That's uh, Taylor Swift just practicing her, her grumpy game. Don't do that. But we can do this. We can do that. We can be that guy. I want to be that guy when I grow up. No teeth, 800 years old, clinging on. But loving that moment, loving this moment right now. Look, I get to breathe in this breath right now, and I have some people alongside of me. That picture caught on so much, there's now a famous painting about that picture. I get to be that guy when I grow up. Don't be this. Don't be grumpy cat. Some of you, I'm telling you, just, <laughs> we don't need to be that. Choose something different. You can be this. Isn't that cool? Every time I've shown that picture, I look around at, at, at you guys. And uh, it's been fun. But still, inevitably, they're still, you know, you're trying, pastor, it's not working on this guy right here who has two thumbs and won't smile today, this guy. We can be that, we can have that kind of a life, right? We can do this, okay, ready, watch, watch. This is training, <laughs> training. Don't do that, do that, yes, no, yes. If you're sitting next to a grumpy person, just take your fingers and put them on their cheeks and just, no, don't do that, you're gonna get smacked. We can be full of great joy. We can have that kind of life, okay, I know this is fun. All right, and this is, is for all the people. Good news of great joy for all people. Now we start to understand why the birth announcement went to shepherds. Shepherds, the ones who are despised, the, one who, the ones who have a, a mean lifestyle, a mean job, as historians put it. The people no one wanted to befriend, these poor, antisocial, unspiritual people the announcement went to them, even them. It's for all people, even shepherds. As we follow the ministry of Jesus, even the poor and the sick and those who are labeled sinners and immoral and even those carrying great shame from past mistakes, even to all of Israel. And by the end of Jesus' ministry, he equipped an army of men and women and said, by the Holy Spirit, I will empower you to share this good news of great joy to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. This is good news of great joy for all people. That's why I love our, our theme. I'm very partial to our theme. Love everyone everywhere. I love this. It's just so simple. This is what God showed us in Jesus, in his birth. This is what God is about. God is about loving everyone everywhere. Every once in a while, I'll get somebody coming up to me and say, hey, I need more meat uh, from the sermons. I know exactly what they're talking about. It's like, okay, what you want is the easiest thing in the world. You do this and then we'll talk, right? If you are doing this exceptionally well, if I can go to everybody in your family and everybody in your workplace and everybody in your street and I can say, is this guy loving everyone everywhere? Then we can talk. This is true meat. This is true depth. This is true life. This is what Jesus came to bring. Love everyone everywhere. Why is there good news of great joy for all people? It's made very clear, Luke 2, 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, the city of Bethlehem, a savior who is Christ the Lord. 
This is Jesus, a savior who is Christ the Lord. A savior who would deliver the world from darkness, deliver the world from suffering, from injustice, from oppression, from the oppression of believing God is against us and that there's no way we can attain his holy righteousness. And we just live under this condemning weight. Jesus came to deliver us from that darkness into a life of light. He's the savior. He's also Christ the Lord. And that word Christ means chosen, appointed, anointed, called, sent on a mission. The word I like best, and we don't use it a lot, but regent. The best word for Christ is regent, the exact representation. Jesus is the exact representation of the heavenly father. You wanna know the heavenly father? Look at the life of Jesus Christ. You wanna know the father's heart? Look at the heart of Christ. You know what the father would have us do? Look at the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the savior, but he's Christ the Lord, and that savior Christ, that term has been then called Messiah, right? He's the savior Christ Messiah, the one sent by God to deliver this world from darkness and usher us into the light of knowing his love for us now and forever. And that comes by belief in Jesus Christ. That's the great announcement. And the great announcement came with a sign, a powerful sign. Now, when we think about signs in the Bible, we think about the big stuff. We think about the parting seas and the pillars of fires and, and great healings that take place. That's a sign. Well, here's the sign of the birth of Jesus, Luke 2, 12. This will be a sign for you, shepherds, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. That's the sign of the birth of the Son of God. That's it. And that's no big deal. This is actually kind of a shame. This is the great sign of the kingdom of heaven coming through this child. A baby wrapped in common cloth, lying in a feed trough in a barn. That's the sign of the kingdom of heaven. And we might look at that and go, well, that's a shame. Or we might flip that around and say, that's just simply the heart of God. That's the heart of God. God's heart is a heart to serve, a heart to be humble, a heart to bear burdens so that others might benefit. Jesus bore all the burdens of this world so that the whole world would benefit, so that the world would be forgiven, that the world would be ushered into a relationship with God by grace alone, received by faith, received by belief, simple belief. Astounding. That's the sign of the kingdom of heaven. It begins with a crib and ends with a cross, right? The crib is a crib of humiliation. That's how God chose to show love, humbling himself so that we might benefit. That's the crib. And then there's the cross to end the ministry of Christ on earth. The cross is a cross of humiliation. A sign of love at the crib, a sign of love at the cross. That's our God expressed through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. The Savior Christ the Lord, God with us is a peasant baby lying in a feed trough in a barn. Just sit with that for a while. As we sometimes get a little grumpy about the things we don't have and how things are not going so well in our lives, I just want us to get a little bit of a grip. Christmas can be a time of, of great joy and pleasure and family, but it can also be a time where people get pretty grumpy. I don't have what they have, and why isn't this working out for me? And we just get that grumpy cat look, right? We, we can change our perspective by believing in Jesus, God came to show off who he is, the humility of a crib and the humility of the cross bookends the son of God. Incredible. And then the sky splits. The sky splits and suddenly there was, an, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's this peace on earth and goodwill towards men. 
peace on earth and goodwill towards men. That goodwill towards men is actually a Hebrew idiom. It was said all the time. And, and that goodwill towards men was not about us figuring out how to be more kind to each other. The idiom was about God having to insert his goodness in a world that isn't good. That is the idiom used at the birth of Christ. That's the announcement that the birth of Jesus is actually God inserting his goodwill into a world where there is none. And, and when God inserted his goodwill by the humility of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the burden-bearing, forgiving nature of Jesus, when God showed his goodness and grace by inserting Jesus into our world, now the world changes. The world changes. We can't fix ourselves. We can't change ourselves. This world can't fix ourselves. The goodwill of God had to be inserted through the person of Jesus. And now everything is being saved by love. That's the gospel. That's the euangelion. That's the good news of great joy. And so last time, why did it have to be the shepherds? Why did it have to be the shepherds? It's not just that they were humble and that God's a humble God, so he goes to the humble shepherd. There's more than that. If you were a first, second century reader of this story, you would make a connection that would be inescapable. Jerusalem's down south, it's the big city. Bethlehem is just outside of Jerusalem, it's the small city. It's sort of like Temecula is to Los Angeles. Los Angeles is the big bustling city and there's, there's Temecula, an ex-Bourbon community that has some distance between it. There's Jerusalem and there's Bethlehem. In between, is a vast grazing area. It's a flatland, and the road between Bethlehem and Jerusalem is surrounded by the flatlands of the grazing areas. If you were reading this passage as a Near Easterner in the first and second century, this image would come into your head, and you would know it right away. These shepherds likely were in late spring as these flocks had reproduced and there's new birth of spring and these shepherds are, are watching day and night over a massive flock just outside of Jerusalem. What are these animals being prepared for? These animals are being prepared for the Passover sacrifice in Jerusalem. And so, of course, the shepherds watching over the animals who are about to be sacrificed of course, they're the first ones to watch over Jesus. The Son of God, who would become the Lamb of God, who would give his life in Jerusalem as a sacrifice for all the world. Now it starts to make sense. These shepherds are not just some randos out there that God happened to, to visit the day of Christ's birth. These are the ones, the shepherds who oversaw the Lamb of God that first day the Lamb of God who would hang on a cross in Jerusalem, body broken, blood shed, to pay for the brokenness of this world and to bring this world to God. Now, do you start to see the power of belief? The power of believing that that's our God. He is not angrily against us, waiting to mess up our lives or, or, or demanding that we satisfy his anger by good works or religion. He is a loving heavenly father who gave his son in humility from his birth to his death and everywhere in between, showing that there is good news of great joy for all people, loving everyone everywhere. And if we would come to the point where we say in humility, I can't prove any of this, but it sure sounds good. And it sure seems reasonable that, that, that there is a God and this God is a good God. 
And this God was on full display through Jesus Christ who is continuing to change the world right now, today, through his church, through us, who decide to believe in this good news, who decide to receive this great joy and know that it's for everybody. It begins in our home and it spills out in our neighborhood and our church and our work. We are living lives of good news and great joy for all the people. Everything changes if we believe. Let's pray. Our God and Father, you sent Jesus Christ, the full expression of your heart, the full expression of your love to this world, and we celebrate that this Christmas. We celebrate that that yours is a heart of humility and sacrifice, that that you are a God who who gives for the benefit of, of others. You, the great God Almighty, who we stand before in awe, you showed us who you really are through the person and work of Jesus Christ the Savior, the Messiah, Christ the Lord. We thank you for the gift of the Christmas story. In all its complexity, and we could even say all of its strangeness, every bit of it is intentional to show us that you care about us, even those who are cast aside, those who are poor and sick and lonely, the the young teenage girl to the shepherd to the complex story of Joseph, everyone who got to experience that first Christmas, we see a little bit of ourselves in each of them, a faith that is hopeful, a faith that is incomplete, a faith that is imperfect because we are imperfect people. But God, you walk us through a complex journey of faith and and for some it could begin even right now as we place our faith and trust in you. We place our faith and trust that there is a good God who is forgiving and gracious and kind, who sent his son to give his life on a cross to carry the sins and suffering of the world upon himself and to bring this world to you, even rising from the dead, defeating every failure, defeating every bit of suffering, defeating death itself so that we might enjoy you and this life you gave us and that we would enjoy that forever. So God, through this series and in this Christmas series, we come to a point of simple but imperfect belief. We believe in you and your son, Jesus Christ, to forgive, to save, and to give us eternal life. In Christ's name we pray, amen.